Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 137 of Death Readers, the podcast where we read books for the first time. In this episode of Death Readers, we're reading Thomas Harris's The Silence of the Lambs, chapters 36 through 47. Um, you should pick up that book and read along so you can keep up with our notes. Also, <laughs> uh, we're back. We have, yeah, this is the, uh, it's almost like we didn't go anywhere. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Because well, we just released an episode last week. Oh, um, right, 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 right. So obviously we're, we've been back. So the reality is that we recorded that episode like in 2022, like er, I don't even know when, but it was Aprilish. It was like April 2022. <laughs> yeah, and by that time we had already taken a, a, a month or so off. Then we took like nine more months off. <laughs> um, no one had any babies. No one had any babies, but uh, we're not here to talk about what we did. <laughs> but I did. Uh, uh, look. I moved, and that takes a lot of process, and that takes a lot of uh, time. So we just—it wasn't—it didn't feel like the kind of thing where I could—I could reliably put Rob in a position to be like, "I promise we'll record this week." I know I said that last week, but I promise this week we're really recording. Cut to the day of record. I can't record, and I felt like that was dumb. So we might as well just get to a point where everything would calm down, and we could actually record, and I could impose that upon him reliably. Which is now. And so the last episode, uh, you may have noticed, sounded like we've been away for a while. It's been longer. So, uh, but as we'll is try the to case, fall back into it. as is the case with chapter books and fiction in general, if you pick up where you left off, it's like you didn't leave it at all. And that's where we are with Clarice. That's right. <laughs> Rob, did I miss anything you'd also like to address? No. Oh. <laughs> I'll address then that we're also recording for the f- maybe the first time in a long time in before noon. Oh, I think it might be ever. I don't know. I don't remember. I think we there may have been I, one. I think in otherwise. the in the Harry Potter years we may have like done more earlier, but I don't it doesn't matter. Um No. But today is early, so we're hoping for an inverse of our normal start hot, peter out. We're hoping to peter in and we'll start with and, our end heart. And then get in yeah. hot. <laughs> <laughs> peter in, end hot. That's the goal. So if, you do, if we don't have anything else, then we're going to just move. Oh, actually, I do have one other thing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> part of the impetus of uh, starting this, doing this episode now was we did see a weird surge in downloads not like a not like a you know uh, pop up into the top download podcast list downloads yeah, tell your friends people yeah seriously or maybe you are but keep it up um get more friends um so it was so nice to them but uh we noticed an uptick and we were like eh, apparently the people demand more and that's what we're giving you so enjoy this I thought you were going to tell them your your greedy reason for starting this again. My greedy reason? I don't even yeah, know what you're talking you're about. Re- where it's all about you. What's you about? don't know what I'm talking about? No. You uh, you were upset oh. that you couldn't count this book among your reads of 2022 because you never finished it. It's true. Well, I had yet to finish it. Um, it's, it's true. I didn't finish it yeah. within the calendar year of 2022. Right. So my uh, stack... Look, the move... It took a lot out of my reading pile, and it the biggest casualty was was that. Um, so, I uh, yeah, I'm I want to get I've, I've earned it. I had read so much of this book already, and I earned putting it on that list. But I hadn't finished it, so that would be disingenuous to suggest I had. So we're gonna okay. finish it this year. So which list will it go on? Last year's or this year's? Oh, it'll go on this year's list. Okay, if we finish it this year. If we finish it, see y'all in 2024 for the next. We've been gone a year. (laughs) Now for the next seven chapters of Silence of the Lambs, a book that couldn't be more relevant. Okay, well, uh, let's start this actual episode with chapter 36. All right, here's my summary of chapter 36. 
Harris describes in exquisite detail how Lecter escapes his bonds and mutilates the two officers responsible for his care. That's it, 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 to get more details for those of you not reading, which you sh- sh- fucking read, um, <laughs> it, it or or watch the movie. It's like right at it's it's page to screen, man. He snuck in some bits of metal in his mouth and was able to use it as a handcuff key, and then he exactly like the movie, like <laughs> like beat these beat these two officers to death. Uh, cut one of their faces off and put it over his face, then put on that guy's outfit and then pretended to be him, pretended to be the officer. And, and it was just whole elaborate, like, body swapping, like, thing where Hannibal ends up in the ambulance pretending to be the, you know, hanging on for dear life officer with no Pembry. more face, Pembry. And uh, then he assaults the ambulance people and makes his escape. But it's a, it's a extremely, like, it's an interesting chapter to start this episode with because it's so it's really intense mm-hmm. when well, so is the next one they kind of they're basically the same scene but like it, it's a it's a it's an intense chapter to, to come back with because again it's so much action there's not really yeah. much to analyze it's just like i guess all of this happens and that's fine yeah um what do you think um what i think i uh I always like how Tate is portrayed, the the officer in charge of trying to figure out where the gunshots are and if Hannibal escapes. Um, it, it it always seems like Harris put a lot of care into researching and writing that character. And similarly, in the movie, I think Jonathan Demme cast a real police officer. Oh. There's just always a... You mean Roger Corman? No. No, I think wasn't he like a medic or something? I don't. I, I thought Roger Corman was like a cop of some kind, or like a, he uh, might have been. He might, but but the main guy in charge with the mustache, I believe, was a real police officer. Tate. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I just it just it always seems like I mean he clearly cares. The whole talk to Pembry thing. I don't. I, I like it. I always like it. Yeah. It's uh. On a side note, did you ever watch that original Star Trek episode about the space hippies? Um, isn't that most of them? No, they actually have to run into some hippies, and they're like singing, and there's like a dude with funky ears. <laughs> you mean a Vulcan? Yeah, Rob, you're no, not no, getting no, more no. specific These are the here. Seashell ears, and and they're like they're like we're gonna go out of this planet, this New Eden, and start a colony there. But when they get down there, all the like vegetation will literally kill them if they touch it. Is that the one? Is that Mirror Mirror, the one where Spock smiles? No, no, Look, no, no. You're no. still not being specific enough, and I hate to break <laughs> it to you. Well, the point is, there's this particular space hippie, uh, the one who has a space hippie guitar and sings uh-huh. and has puts on a little concert, and that's Charles Napier who went on to play uh, Lieutenant Boyle in this scene. Oh, and I is, just because I, I just found that out recently, and I, I I can't think of one without the other. No. Is that kind of like how if you watch enough Star Trek, you'll see things like, oh, that's Diedrich Bader, or yeah. other things like that, or Famke Jenkins, Jensen. I ever always forget her name wrong. Famke Janssen. Famke Johnson. Sure, I'll give it to you. Fam Fam Famke Jansay. Look, best thing about her in Star Trek is her name is whatever I want it to be. Uh, Uga. <laughs> well, that's that's. For, do you not remember this episode? I don't know the episode. I don't know the Dietrich Bader one. I was playing along. The episode with Fumke is she plays this woman who is to every man whatever he wants. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. What fucking dude wrote that shit? Every dude. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's an amazing episode. You should go watch it when you get it a sounds, chance. It sounds exactly like the Salt Vampire. It is. It is a lot like Salt Vampire, except that it's funnier because <laughs> because when like she does things like she's extremely sensual around Riker and she's very intellectual around Picard. Oh, so she doesn't change her physical appearance. No, she, she changes her personality. Her her how she acts. Okay. Yeah, and when she gets around Worf, she just growls and like wants to fight him, and he really likes that. Of course, he does. Of course he does. Klingon sex makes me uncomfortable. 
It's supposed to. I no. I what, is it? Yeah, that's what makes it hot. Is that it hurts? Okay, that that's okay. Canonical. That's not the kind of discomfort I meant. But oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know what you meant because, as I said, contextually, Klingon sex supposed to be uncomfortable. <laughs> that's what makes it hot. <sighs> Chapter 36. <laughs> yeah, let's get to something less disturbing. <laughs> um, well, are you done with chapter 36? Or just, yeah, oh, we can oh, move on. Who, who is the other cameo in that movie? Was it... It, like, so, it looks as a few. Demi likes to do that a lot. Well, well used to. Um, True. I know that Roger Corman was in there, and I know that there was someone else who's like a big director. I don't want to say it was a Texas Chainsaw guy. Toby Hooper? Was it Toby Hooper? No, that's Texas Chainsaw Guy. What, that's all, I, that's I mean, all I'm doing. I'm, I'm just applying that name. Him. Anyway, we should have looked, we should have researched our show. Um, and I, mean, I could see it being like a Landis, too. I thought there was a bearded guy at some point. That would have been unavoidably memorable. True. I know Frederica Bemmel's friend who we've not seen in the book yet, was played by some sort of musician. A singer of some note. Well, I, I don't remember anybody else besides George Romero, but I remember. I think I think the reason I brought him Wait, up really... you said was, George Romero this time. What did I say before? Uh, Little Shop of Horrors director. Corman. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I think it, it may have been both, but Romero that could be the other one. Romero, Romero usually maybe, has a beard, right? Yeah, Romero is in this scene. Is the thing? Um, oh, okay. I'm looking at that up now. No, fine. All looking up noises will be cut. So we'll jump right to your okay, juicy I got factoids. It. Yes, uh, Roger Corman. Both. It's it, well, that was the other ones. Roger Corman and George Romero are both in Silence of the Lambs. See. Roger I'm Corman so plays the FBI director Hayden Burke, and uh, Corman, or excuse me, uh, Romero yeah. plays, I think, just a dude. <laughs> um, he he's in that shot where, with the cage is the thing with the metal bar cage. Um. Anyway, yeah, that's a fun little tidbit. Go watch the movie. Um. Next chapter is chapter thirty-seven. All right, it's the same as the last chapter. Um, basically. It's, it's basically, we can do them together. Yeah, the, the remaining law enforcement officers realize Lecter's escaped and mount a well-organized effort to track him down and subdue their escaped criminal. Lecter managed to escape by disguising himself as one of the victims who's clung to life and sent to a hospital in an ambulance, uh, Pembry. The law enforcement officers learn much too late that Dr. Lecter has escaped when they discover the multitude of or excuse me, they discovered the mutilated corpse of the other officer, Lecter. Wait. Well, he discovered both of them, they, but they discover uh, Pembry's actual body in an right. elevator shaft, uh, leaking blood. by the tattoos. And the blood. I don't think they recognize the blood. They were like, isn't that Pembry's blood? <laughs> <laughs> I know that blood anywhere. Uh, my only note here is... Um, this tastes just like Pembry's blood. <laughs> He's got that St. Louis tang. Good morning, everyone. Look, the scenes in St. Louis, I'm assuming he was a local. Please continue. No, you hear it. He's a corrections officer. They wouldn't pull someone from out of state. If they did, they would have had their own people who knew how to handle Lecter. Barney. Barney. Uh, my only note on this chapter is there's a mention about two pounds of pressure on a nine-pound trigger. Which, to like, he, he's going in. He's, he's, he's ready to squeeze that trigger off at any moment. Uh, and just an interesting way of talking about a gun. I've only ever seen it in one other place. I was just wondering if you'd ever heard triggers referred to that way no uh i know that i've i mean uh, like any amateur i've heard of a hair trigger sure um i don't know about trigger poundage tensile strength i, I mean mm. I yeah i don't know 
don't know anything about that. Because it takes so many pounds of pressure to pull it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can comprehend that, that. It's just like I don't know. I don't know anything else about it. Sorry. It's not like yeah, second ins- chance body armor. The other end. Ins- oh, right. Good memory. The other instance of, of pounds on a trigger I know of is from Salem's Lot, which is at least in the miniseries, probably the book, too. We ever get to that book, uh, you'll find out about it. Yay! That's um, it. All right, I actually have an overall note on this chapter, which I may have already addressed, but I'm going to read it because I wrote it. Okay. Uh, overall note, it's worth noting how kinetic this scene is in the movie versus how slow it is in the book. Obviously, a film like Silence of the Lambs needs a good script, but there's something worth mentioning about Demi's skill at realizing this f- sequence on film. Um, That's very true. I will say, because it comes up in a couple chapters, there is a setup for a device that Harris uses here that I didn't realize until later, uh, the speed with which the ambulance arrives. Oh, right, because Lecter called ahead. Because Lecter called ahead. Um, but it was just it, it was just so innocuously thrown in there that I didn't realize that that was a, a plot point. It was, that was fun to realize later. Yeah. Same. And then the next thing we say is... Chapter 38. Summary. Lecter attacks the EMTs in his ambulance and takes control of the vehicle before driving it to an airport. Once again, this is a chapter that is essentially the same as the last two. It's just one long continuation of this sequence. Nothing else interrupts it or informs it. It just is more of the same. It could be... It could easily be one could have been one chapter with like you know subsections it didn't need to be separate chapters i don't know about that i just know that like in terms of analyzing the book it's it we're kind of stuck in this rut of like it's going to be this sequence until it's not so (laughs) pardon yeah i call that a scene yes but but in terms of and again in terms of analysis but because we go chapter by chapter it's it makes it a little difficult to have insight when the diff when the difference between two chapters is and now he's in the ambulance so um, do you have any notes or any? Not, okay, not then let's let's go to <laughs> chapter thirty-nine. Summary: Jack and Clarice reconnect at Crawford's residence. His wife is ill, and they have a live-in nurse monitoring her health. Crawford updates Clarice on Lecter's escape. Jack tells Clarice to go back to school. There's not much more she can do on the case. He commends her and gives her the chance to write up some paperwork detailing how she discovered the bug in a previous victim's throat. That's pretty much it. I mean, it's 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 emotional. It's an emotional chapter. Oh, it's uh, very emotional. All of all of it's it's an interesting digression to have so much time spent on Crawford losing Bella, when it doesn't feel like any of the rest of the book has set it up. It's mentioned it, but it's not really set it up. But then we're getting this huge emotional payoff. Like meanwhile, it's just an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. I'm not even saying I disagree with it, but but it's kind of unique. Yeah. Also, we get that payoff for uh, Tate noting the speed of the ambulance because where Crawford brings it to our attention. I, uh, I think that the I'd like to see some sort of payoff for the whole Bella stuff. I mean, I know we get some more later, but like something something that's clear as to why it's part of the story. Um, besides humanizing Jack, I feel like Harris is a good enough writer to where he wouldn't do something just to do that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Because I don't think it ex- it's setting up any mistakes that he's going to have because he's too exhausted. Well, it's not like in the TV show where like Hannibal is part of the reason part- why. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and that made sense. Right. Um, this one feels a lot like it's, it's good that it's there, I guess. It's just I don't. Again, I, I I hope it's not as romantic as just I want to make Jack a more human character because there's so not... much in the interaction story that he has with no. Clarice that humanizes him as sure. a mentor. Why do we need this extra like vulnerability side of him? Is it is it unless it's unless it's something like I need to have a good reason why Jack isn't solving this case himself? Maybe, but I think it might also just be. I think we've seen Harris do this in the past where he just kind of shows you what's going on and just fleshes that out for a little bit to have, so you kind of realize the world. Like we've seen that with the uh, 
the old man in Red Dragon who was watching uh, the Tooth Fairy thinking it was a telephone operator and his whole, like, the things that were going on with him. Um, we, we've had these various little asides before, and it just might just be his style where he's just like... This or, is occurring to me, so I'm just going to show you this window into a scene. Or it's some sort of life. metaphor we're missing. Like, I think that's also yeah. possible. Like, I, I think about that when I think about the way he described um, Will's dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the, uh, like those those scenes, it's like, there's something symbolic here that I don't feel like I'm quite getting. Not Not so, like, heavy-handed symbolism, but there's something, like poignant about this choice like there's something well, just, about i mean will gravitates towards saving people and dogs yeah just simple he, yeah yeah but what is it here with jack sure. I, it makes me it makes me look for that like there's a negative space here there's something mm-hmm. i'm not seeing because this doesn't feel maybe it's that i'm heartless but like i just don't feel the the ness i don't see what necessary i don't see what necessitates this interlude Besides just humanizing this character. Well, we come back to it in uh, like five more chapters, so we can possibly say it again. Continue it then. Maybe we'll have more to say by then. No. Um, (laughs) What is this, a podcast where we say how we think and feel and update it? No, no, we are decisive. We have the one thing we've ever felt. And that never changes. Very Jimmy Stewart of you. No. It's a podcast where we talk about our failings. That's horrible. I'm sorry. Oh, how how brash um i do actually i think i might have my only note for this entire episode right now um page 255 starling uh thinks to herself that she's associating bitterness with weakness yeah and i thought that that was uh, a quite an astute uh, observation and perhaps it's a good thing to remember in our most bitter moments I'm not saying I didn't have a similar thought, <laughs> but you go to hell. Uh, okay. <laughs> he said weakly. <laughs> All right. Um. All right. Dick. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, that brings us to... Chapter 40. Summary. Clarice returns to the bug zoo at the Smithsonian, where she learns more about the Death's Head Moth. It comes from Malaysia and is difficult to capture, meaning customs paperwork would be required for anyone looking to import one into the United States. The bug zoologist continues his formal flirting with Clarice, but funnily enough, nothing works better than just saying, I would like to get to know you. Insert canned laughter. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just directing to the point. I do like that he realizes partway through that he should not be flirting right then. That, I- that The, oh shit, yeah, you're busy, duh. I like that too, but I also like how he is still like, it just, it just takes him to that more formal place of being like, look, I'm still interested. I'm not going to be deterred. I'm pursuing you. You have not, you have not shut me off in any way except a professional capacity. And so I'm going to, I'm going to persist. I'd like to get to know you. May I call you <laughs> or you should call me kind of thing, which I think is where they end up. Yeah. He definitely put the ball in her court, but she's FBI, so she can get his number if she wants. Maybe. Um, He's Dr. Pilcher at the Bug Museum. I don't think it'll be that hard to find. No, it wouldn't be, but it's probably also it's nothing to do with her FBI abilities or access. Oh, it's uh, totally FBI. But this is the 80s when you could just do all that stuff. This is the really 80s. Nice. You could snort coke off the <laughs> fucking secretary's ass crack. And Why is it always right to coke? Why does everyone talk about the it's 80s? It's the going to 80s. Coke? Right. I had a coworker once who used to tell me, man, back in the 80s, I worked for a record company. We used to get our Christmas bonuses and coke. And I would I would look at him and go, is that cool? Like, I don't feel like that's cool. Like, <laughs> it's not cool. It doesn't feel cool to me, man. I, I mean, do you want. I fucking I watched the turtles team up with the chipmunks to say that was not cool. Yeah. Do you want coke? 
dude, because you should just go get some coke. Continue to ruin your life. Go for it. <sighs> I remember the smoking one. I don't remember coke. But wasn't the smoking like crack? No, smoking was like just regular I think it was smoking. Like cigarettes, but like it was like everything. It was a bit like that. That because cartoon... George C. Scott played the cloud, right? I think so. The evil smoke cloud. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 thought, know... I thought it was something harder than just smoking, but okay. It might be pot, but like I remember that it, it, it's that that cartoon has an intro by Ronald Reagan. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Nancy. It's I think it's both Ronald and Nancy. They like, okay. They sit in front of it and they go, cartoons have a lot of power. And then, then, and then they go into the cartoons, and Garfield's like, "I'm hungry, but not because I'm high." <laughs> and then there's the chipmunks, and only one Ninja Turtle. To be fair, um, was it Raphael or Michelangelo? Michelangelo. Like it was. It okay. was the. It was the party, the party dude, dude, of course. The guy who. Course. Yeah, <laughs> the guy who is the one who is be the most inclined to imbibe. But uh, I feel like imbibe shouldn't count for anything that you don't drink. Okay, I'll take that. I feel like the the Latin root is to drink. Fine, I'm just I'm just saying. I w- I'm just agreeing. Good. I'm just acquiescing. Weak. <laughs> now who's weak? Now it's who's you. weak? It's you. He said not bitterly at all. <laughs> A sudden bitter spotlight has been cast on Rob. <laughs> Okay, um, that brings us to... Chapter 41. Uh, summary, this chapter details Catherine Baker Martin's attempt to capture James Gum's dog with a chicken bone and a bucket trap. Harris goes into specific detail on how she did this, but ultimately she fails and cries. Mm-hmm. It's just a long... It's yeah. a lot of detail. These A lot of this episode is just chapters full of, like, descriptions, like... I mean, they're not, they're not, I don't, I didn't find them particularly tedious, but they are. They, they just... are, they are tedious to me when I'm trying to find something to analyze about them. Gotcha. Okay. And, and that way it's hard to say, like, I've got a, a perspective on this. That's yeah, true. Especially like, since the movie is so page to screen, you've yeah. already seen this. Yes. So you're just going through it again. Yes. And well, I'm, and I'm, the best I can do is just try to appreciate his craft, mm-hmm. but like for the purposes of taking the product and analyzing it, turning it into something for our show. These chapters are very uh, empty of, yeah. the, of that, but they're good to read. I guess like, just like I said, listener, stop listening, start reading. Don't stop listening. Never stop <laughs> listening. All right. Anyway, I I don't mean, have, do you have any notes? <laughs> I no. A lot of these, I just have quick little, like couple word summaries of them. Like, Chapter 39, Crawford at home. Chapter 41, Catherine in the well. Chapter 42, Jack on the phone. Right. It's it's just... just That's what along. they are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, that brings us to... Chapter 42, Jack on the phone. <laughs> Summary. Crawford gets information back from FBI specialists about a message Lecter left in his toilet. It was a sophisticated poop joke, pointing out that Dr. Chilton's hair is the same color as the bile that makes poop brown. Which is also the name he gave as Buffalo Bill's name. That's pretty much it. Four pages for a poop joke. (laughs) Well, I mean, a sophisticated uh, poop joke. An erudite poop joke. Billy Ripkin? Billy Rubin. Rubin. That's the name of the bile? Billy Rubin, yeah. Weird. They may run together. It's one word, but... Oh, okay, I got it. I got it now. It's a, it's a chief coloring agent, in, or it, 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 it's a chemical composition for bilirubin, the chief component in uh, coloring for poop. Also the same color as Chilton's hair. Yeah, that's a good book. <coughs> um, <laughs> look, if you guys wanted to read a book that didn't have four pages to point out a poop joke that had taken 170 pages to get to, you picked the wrong book. <laughs> And be like 270. I mean, come on. No, this was only, uh, you're right. You said like, two, page 255 earlier. 270, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Okay. I, li- I just like hearing it. <laughs> Suddenly, the bittered, weak cloud lifts. <laughs> and a pride strong, sweet strong sunshine cloud. comes out. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. That brings us to... Chapter 43. No reason to hurry. 
<laughs> I'm just going to give my titles. <laughs> Summary. In this chapter, Dr. Lecter enjoys his newfound freedom with a stay in a lavish hotel. It details his methods of concealment at a hotel known for housing plastic surgery patients and his plans to further disguise himself with hair bleach and a sun lamp. This one, I, uh, this one reminded me of Home Alone 2, where Kevin's in the in the big the lavish townhouse. hotel. Like, oh, the hotel, okay. And he's like, he's like ordering too much room service. <laughs> like, that's what I thought. I imagined Lecter. <laughs> the just concierge imagine... is on his knees outside Hannibal's door. We love you, sir. <laughs> yeah, just imagine that scene. But like, when. Uh, Rob Schneider's asking for a tip instead of giving him gum. Hannibal gives him like a five five hundred dollars from oh. that other guy's like bloody sure. wallet or something. And then Tim Curry's in trying to prove that he's not really who he says he is, but he's right. So Hannibal eats him like stuff like <laughs> a that. Limousine and the <laughs> pizza. Yeah, exactly. And and or he's sitting in bed eating like a ton of ice cream, but just, and. and <laughs> And I just like I just like that, but it's out of like Ray Liotta's skull. <laughs> I approve. I like this imagery. Um, yes. Anyway, that's the chapter. That's it. Other than he does, he I think the chapter does end with the line "No reason to hurry," which which yeah, right. I felt was 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 great. It was it was very Hannibal. It was very. Literally, everyone's looking for me, but whatever. I'm so smart. All right, and that brings us to... Chapter 44. Summary. Delia and Starling. Sorry. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll give you the time um, to do that. Summary. A beleaguered Starling makes it to her dorm room. Her roommate is very kind to her, reassures Clarice that she'll beat her upcoming FBI trial, and promises to help her study for an upcoming exam. It's good to have helpful friends. That's it, though. Like, that's what happens. Like, it's... Sorry, listener. Nothing. I got nothing. Not everything can be Silence of the Lambs meets Home Alone 2. That brings us to... Chapter 45. Ciao, Bella. (laughs) Summary. I guess this is a frank and touching chapter about Bella dying and Jack's reaction. Because, again, I, I, I... doesn't do much for me. I actually got a little bit more out of this that I liked. So I'm going to call it up now. There's something. Okay, so the end of the uh, the, the last paragraph of the chapter. I'm going to see if I can put myself in the same mindset. <clears throat> his empty hands hanging palms forward at his sides. He stood at the window looking to the empty east. He did not look for dawn. East was the only way the window faced. There's like a bleakness but also a mundanity that I liked. And it, just the way he's describing Jack dealing with um, Bella's death, it's like his, his his brain's kind of on autopilot and just kind of recording the things it's seeing. And I feel like that Harris conveyed that, and I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, yeah, there's a there's, good point. There's, there's parts in this chapter where uh, Jack talks about how he doesn't cry when he's holding Bella dying because mm-hmm. he's already done all his crying. Now it's just the, like it's just finishing up that last bit of work to, to respect her and to, to, to care for her in these last couple of moments. There's, there's moments where he talks about like holding her while her brain dies. It's a very like disconnected yes. element where it's like, and or it's like, just, just that that's how he's processing it is like, I've already done my crying with her about her dying when she was, when she was who she was. Now she's now the body is simply dying. So going back to chapter 39 or whatever other one it was, uh, does this add anything more to why they're showing Crawford dealing with Bella dying? Does this, is this giving us an insight into Jack and how he's how he processes things, processes cases, processing catching Hannibal or uh, Jim Gum? I don't know. The only thing I can think of is that he is maybe there's some sort of element here about like what happens to you when you are a law enforcement agent and like, you know, that sort of mentalization or that desensitization. Mm -hmm. Um, Like maybe there's something there about how, like if we go all the way back to Chilton trying to humanize uh, Catherine Baker Martin by saying her name over and over and Crawford was reluctant, resistant to that technique. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe there's something there where like, 
it is part of how he processes the trauma that he experiences is to disconnect, like much like the people he hunts. Right. Um, he, he likes to disconnect. And maybe that is sad. Maybe him like constantly facing East because it's the only way he can face nothing or not because he wants, he has the capacity for anything more, but just simply because that's what he's built to do. Right. Uh, maybe there's some depth there. Um, shut up, Rob. Why'd you maybe fucking, what did I say earlier? Oh, we make decisions and we never change them. We make our observations are always right, right off the cuff. No further analysis needed. Sounds kind of weak. Okay. Okay. Oh, I'm I can see. What What are those your gauntlets on the floor? <laughs> nah, I'd slap you in the face with my glove. Um. Anyway, uh. Yeah, maybe there's something there. I don't know. It's hard to tell because I'm. I'm just not. I think that maybe like Crawford, it's hard for me to want to read a book about a man watching a loved one die like that. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, like that's not, and it's not like it's, believe me, this is not the same as, uh, the chapters we had in red dragon that were much worse. Like where it was like, oh. man, I don't understand why, why anyone would look at this book and go, I want to reread that. Cause those elements are so awful. About um, Francis's childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. This this is kind of like that, where it's like I I I'm trusting that there's a good reason they're there, but it doesn't make me. F- this isn't an experience I want from entertainment. Right. Um. But that's fine. Like like I mean, it's it's. I don't know. It's hard to. It's hard to not like put yourself in that position and imagine what that experience would be like, uh. And that's not a thing I like spending my time doing. So. That's it. Okay. Um, but thanks, I guess, for making me look a little longer at it, even if it was just a couple moments. You're welcome. That brings us to... Chapter 46. Summary. This chapter focuses on James Gum's thoughts and preparations of skin. It reveals his obsession with his mother, who's apparently the inspiration for his skin suit. He's prepared to murder Catherine Baker Martin tomorrow. That was an element I feel like wasn't in the movie. The element of like make it was all about him trying to like make himself his mother. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. Absolutely. That was. Yeah, they couldn't have fit that in. It was enough that he was a cuckoo McGillicuddy. Yeah. I don't, well, I also just don't know if it, how much it adds. Like, is it is it edible? Is it. um Possibly. Uh, I, it might just be Harris thinking you need to explain the why and you don't always. You don't though. Oh yeah. 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 But I mean, sometimes when you're that close to it, you're, I mean, he's, you know, genesising a lot of these ideas. He, he might've thrown it in without realizing, Oh, I didn't even need to say why. Yeah. His humanizing of, um, the monsters, Francis Dollarhide, um, was welcome. Sure. Um, like the the kids calling him that awful name. We spent uh, a lot more time with Francis, though. We spent, you know, with his budding relationship with Rita. Um, yeah, his childhood. it was good. Yeah, we were a lot. Of, th- this this is almost like he forgot he needed to do that and kind of worked it in. But yeah, there's just so much elsewhere. He was spending more time with Jack and Bella. Yeah, and more time with Hannibal. Really, this is this is. I mean. Comparatively, you know, in the first release in the Manhunter movie, Hannibal's barely in five minutes. Whereas Science of the Lambs, he's a bigger part of the story, even though he's on screen not as much. Yeah. It's interesting. Also, um, do we ever see Will Graham again in any of Harris's work? Oh, what? Really? Yeah, I think he might be mentioned. I think he was already mentioned in this book. That might be it. Hmm. Does Clarice stick around for the next move book? Yes. Oh, cool. Oh, she becomes Julianne Moore. <laughs> Not in my mind, but I was thinking about uh, when I was—I don't remember where it was, but I think it was the chapter when she was at the Bug Zoo, and I was thinking how cool would it be to to do a uh, like like an old man Clarice style story where like. <laughs> 
like we we jump to now mm-hmm. and because because like you know anthony hopkins is still kicking mm-hmm. they could totally do another movie like with those characters like that yeah. and, and if and if and if she was like married to the bug guy like that's mm-hmm. what i imagined i just imagined her like doing sort of like a will graham thing where like she's teaching at the academy now um she's assuming a sort of crawford role um maybe i i would i would not be interested oh maybe this is how you do it okay you, you take in i was gonna say i wouldn't i'm not interested in seeing her train another recruit because that's way too like the Oh, we've got to introduce the new version of the character so we can right. keep this going forever. Right. Um, I don't want that, except I kind of do now because I okay. want I want it to be a character who is like that, like um, but it's a it, but she doesn't want to mentor. Like she's a, also a reluctant mentor, mm. and so this persistent student is sort of forced upon her for some reason that's like a little icky, like like uh. FBI director is godparent or some shit Cla- like Clarice that. has to go through a metamorphosis to become yeah. a mentor. Sure, sure. Um I yes. Um uh, to evolve through her pupil stage. Pupa. I know, Rob. I know it's. Well, I thought we were doing the bit from Gremlins where he's like, "It's a pupil stage," and the guy corrects him. He's like, "Pupa, pupa stage." Oh, okay. Not doing Gremlins. I don't know Gremlins as well as you, but yes, that's what we were doing. Um, caterpillar into chrysalis or pupa, petering in. But yeah, like so, so like there's like a it's like a nepo baby thing. Not to use a terrible term, but like they, uh, it's the person that she's being forced to mentor is a like someone who does not has not earned it. Like the uh, the opposite of Clarice, right? Somebody who who, Irlac. Yes, like 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 the uh, the senator, like that that character, like her resentment for the senator, and like the, there's a chapter where in this in this section where Clarice talks about how many starlings had to suffer for her to get to the point where she still had to keep suffering to get right. to where she is now, and meanwhile that Vanderbilt bitch is, uh, you know, can can has all of her you know historical wealth and all that other shit. So it's like someone like that. It's like a, it's like the Matt Gates of. FBI special agents is in there and they're being assigned to her right. as like, 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 and you could even have a character say something like, look, Starling, this worked out great for you on that, uh, gum case. Like you, you made your career before you even started as a special agent. Like this can work. Like this, this, this method works. Sure. Now we've got another one. You, you know, you're how close are you to retirement? You know, like it's time for you to like, it's interesting. Some of that I feel is explored in the next book, not the mentorship, but a lot of those sentiments. Oh, interesting. Well, that's what I would want to see. And then and then sure. it's like and then they maybe grow together. Mm-hmm. Like they grow together to the point where she they they have their resentments and their interactions. They butt heads, but eventually she warms up to this person. I'm going to say it's a, it's a male character, a male. Cause I think that you want, I, I think that like, if you make it a female character, you it's, I feel like you're much more likely for Starling to have, it, it'll be harder for the audience to accept that she would not want to help out that person. Sure. But if you have like, um, Matt Gates, I think that like someone who you want, who is so f- has the countenance of punchability, <laughs> um, then like, I think that is the person that the audience wants to instantly hate, but then right. they also have to warm up to. And then I think you end up in a seven situation where that character gets his head cut off. Like, like, but after you accept that he has, a, like he has a future, like he, she's got to say, they something. make you like him first. And then, yeah, come. she's got to say yeah. something stupid to him. Like, Hey, I think you might have a, a, a good future ahead of you. And then he gets his, a head cut off. 
Uh-huh. It's got to be awful like that. That's how you get ahead in the FBI. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's my uh, that's my elevator pitch, Paramount. Um, I'm willing to do the work if you're willing okay. to fund it. I think it's CBS, but it's fine. Hey, Rob, who owns CBS? S- second mount. <laughs> Penultimount. Antimount. Sure. Anson Mount. Sure. Hey Viacom, do you want to do you want to fund this? Hey Rob, what does Viacom own? Because you know Anton Mount is in Strange New Worlds, which is a Paramount show. Oh god. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to. Oh wait, no, it doesn't. Okay. I was gonna say I uh, I like the bit where Precious knows she's gonna be squeezed. <laughs> yeah, recognize the video. That was funny to me. That's funny. Uh, my my dogs would totally do that. They they would totally know like uh, something's about to happen. This is that thing he does. Ugh, ugh, hate it when he does this, but he's gonna do it. It's. I mean, it's. I we've mentioned it, but it's properly occurring to me now that we've had sections of this book from the dog's point of view, and that's that's mm. interesting. I was uh, so after I read these chapters, I was playing with one of my dogs who is a small dog, and I was <laughs> I was just thinking about our relationship. Because I was thinking about, like, I'm, like, I'm like at least ten times her weight. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, I don't know how many, maybe ten times her size. So, like, I, and I, I, I play with her in these really terrible, like, ways that are probably abusive and bad. Like, I'll do things, like, I'll, like, gently, I promise it's ever so gently, like, chew on her ears and then I'll like chew in her ear a little bit and then I'll pull my mouth away and then she'll she'll like look at me and it, it, she only does it once I've stopped chewing. I'll pull my, my mouth away and then she'll go. <sighs> and then she'll like start thwapping her tail and and then I'll, I'll be like, I'll, I'll do it again. I'll, I'll bite her. I'll, I'll bite her, uh, her ear just a little so softly. And then <laughs> and then and then I'll pull away and she'll go. <sighs> she'll show more teeth. And then, and then she might just go, like snap at me, and then like maybe bark a little bit and swap her tail, and then like so I was thinking about that, and then I I went and I like bit her belly, like and she's like laying on her back, and I went and I like bit her belly again gently, uh, playfully, and you know bite her belly a little bit, pull off, and then she looks at me, and she goes, ah, it's great, I love this game, and it's only every so often resulted in me being bitten to the point of drawing blood and that's <laughs> fine that's the toll i pay but it made She's me got think, a real taste for it now <laughs> it made me think like what a weird relationship from her perspective like to think like that there's this giant that feeds me <laughs> and and every once in a while it wants to chew me but i'm not actually convinced it wants to eat me because if I was, I would have to really defend myself. So I just have to also accept that part of this relationship is that I'm a captive of a giant who wants to chew on my ears. <laughs> and I thought, like, if that was if if that sequence was in the Jack and the Beanstalk myth or fairy tale, it'd be so fucking weird. It'd be so fucking weird if the, if the giant was like, you know, I'm gonna chew his ears. Because it's fun, and and Jack was just like Jack. Every time it happens, Jack's just like, <laughs> anyway. I think that she can anticipate me fucking with her like that, and I think that that's similar to how. Look, I'm not James Gum. Okay, stop making comparisons between me and James Gum. Uh, okay. If you insist, he said weakly. I wasn't um, bitter at all. No, me. I was the one. Oh. Who was bitter. <laughs> but you're right. It is interesting to see the, the the dog's perspective of this. I like it when books treat dogs as smart creatures, like mm-hmm. thoughtful, intelligent, like sentient. Yeah, like all these, like all these ways that a lot of books don't. Like I don't like books that treat animals like they're some sort of spiritual thing. It's like I think that actually is really insulting. <laughs> like, like. Like, my dogs are way smarter than some sort of dumb ghost. Right. Anyway, 
Okay. Ghosts. <laughs> that brings us to... Chapter 47, Starling Does Laundry. Yay. Summary. Clarice mulls over the case file on Buffalo Bill and Dr. Lecter's musings. When taken away from Hannibal, all the information seems to tidy itself up and suggests the killer may live near the location where the first victim was found. That's it. That's it. <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah, we're... This was a... It's not a fluff section of the book by any means, but it is a lot of, like, connective tissue that doesn't... I don't really feel a lot like a lot's getting moved along. Like, it's... it's These feel like mile marker chapters as opposed to, like, thrusts. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's... That, 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 I, that would be why the movie succeeds a little bit better. I think they, they boil this stuff down and really um, distill it. Yeah. They distill it down to its procedural elements Mm -hmm. and, and also Clarice's arc. Like it takes Mm -hmm. away a lot of the Jack stuff. It takes away a lot of the bill stuff. I mean, in the movie they bring in Ardelia for this part so they can have a back and forth and Mm -hmm. figure it out together. And it just goes so much quicker. Yeah. I do really like the corrupting a moron joke. (laughs) <laughs> that made me That's laugh. It's a long joke. Starling is laying in bed and she goes, fuck this. And then Ardelia wakes up and goes, are you corrupting a moron? And they don't explicitly spell it out. They do a little bit, but they, it's, well, yeah. I think he makes Ardelia cagey about using profanity, which makes it a little less explicitly spelled out. Yeah. But it was still very funny. It was a really long walk and it, <laughs> It felt like something I would hear, like, an old person say. Like, that's the kind of joke, which is great for someone who is as uh, apparently as prudish as Ardelia. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it's well done. It was just, like, it's it's odd. It felt like, I guess it was a nice, like, it was a nice reminder that she isn't in the world Clarice is in right now. Like, she's right. not in the nightmare world of people murdering and eating each other. So, yeah. Um, we're going to finish the book next time. I think that's it. I don't think there's anything else to say about that. We just have to put time to last last chapters. Mm-hmm. What forty eight through the end? Yep. Let's see what the end actually is. Is there like a a a, a postscript? Well, it depends on which edition it is too. Um, I have a slight Thomas Harris note right after the last page of the last chapter. So I do too. So we'll do that also, I guess. Yep. That'll be a hearty. That'll be a hearty bit of chapters, though. Why? This is going to be like 13 chapters. Or 14. Yeah, but you should look at page count as opposed to chapter number. It's really, it's still, it's still basically the same chunk we've been reading. Which is, which, you know, goes to my theory that these should be uh, subsections of larger chapters. It certainly seems like he likes to split his scenes up into chapters. Mm -hmm. But there. Unfortunately, because of the nature of these chapters we just read, there is like a five or six segment word, new word alert. Okay. Ready? I have some words too, but we'll see if we get the same ones. We will see things together. Hmm. So perfect. <laughs> More than perfect, but I looked it up too. (laughs) Yeah, pluperfect. What a silly, it seems like an unnecessary word. Well, it's a, go ahead. Isn't perfect, doesn't, does not perfect mean perfect. Isn't pluperfect also a part of speech, at least in English, like a tense. It's a tense in like English or German, the pluperfect tense. I've heard that. I know I have. But use it used in the way the book used it. What a pluperfect asshole! I'm like, yeah. I want to say that. I want to find a reason to say that. It feels fun on my tongue. Yeah, it it's a strange word. Um, it feels it feels unnecessary, but it's but fine. Mm-hmm. It's like when you hear British people say, "He's a right." C-. <laughs> it's like it's like pluperfect asshole feels like that. Um, all right, next one. Okay. Oubliette. 
Oubliette. Oubliette I know because of Labyrinth. Mm. Um, although I always think it's I get it mixed up with like a like a like a sewer, like a like um yeah, like 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 where you would throw your waste, but it's actually like a super deep dungeon that you're gonna forget about people in. It's kind of like a well that you store people in. Yeah, yeah, it's a good word. It is a good word. It, it. I think the problem for me in this in this book is that oubliette also sounds kind of like a dance word, but well, so also, I was gonna say go ahead, but also like maybe a thing you would do to like fashion. I would totally date a goth girl named oubliette. Oh, that's a good name for a, per, a character, right? Mm-hmm. All right, now this one is probably another one that you probably already know, but like the way it was used in the book made me look it up again. Okay. I felt like I knew it, but I had to look it up. Warren. W-A-R-R-E-N. Warren, yes. Because um, it's it's like uh, the dugout rabbit home. Yeah, basically. In interconnected tunnels. Interconnected tunnels is a very good, is, is exactly how it was in, used, but... At least in the this dictionary dictionary I'm using, which is Webster's, that is like the second sub definition of the third definition, which feels like like everything else is very specific to this is where rabbits live, not this is an adjective to use used to describe a maze of passageways or small rooms, hmm. which is what he intended to use it as. So it was like right. it was fine. It's just like I felt like I understood why I didn't understand it. Ah. Um Décolleté. 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 You you got okay. it correct. D e c o l l e t e. And there's two accents on the first. There's an accent on the first and last e. Is that? Oh god, I suck at French. Is that related to décolletage? Yes. Like a woman's chesty area. Yes. Okay. It, well, I know that uh, word. <laughs> well, it, 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 here. It, Décolleté mm-hmm. um, is a is the wearing of a strapless or low necked dress. Oh, okay. Having a low cut neckline. Okay. Again, apologies for trying French at all. I all can't right. do it. I Last can't. one. Muslin. Muslin. That's a sheer fabric, right? Like a, a loosely woven kind of like linen that's not really trying. Yeah. And I think you may have ran the category of the new word alert. I don't I don't remember exactly, but I think you got them all. Hmm. Well, I've got a couple. Yay. Get ready for me to get none of them. Oh, I don't know. You might. You might. They're, they're all from the book as well. Uh-oh. Here we go. Enucleate. I did look that up, didn't Let me I? get one more because I did feel like that was quiet. Enucleate. But I, I thought that I... How did I look that up? Because I thought I did. Um... Maybe you just forgot to write it down. Yeah, um, no, I don't remember what that is. I don't think. Oh, uh, it made sense once I like looked at it in the dictionary and saw like its root word was nucleus. Like to be connect, to be disconnected? Uh, in this sense, popped. Popped. The eye was enucleated. Yes, I do. Okay, yes. As in the nucleus was ruptured. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. I do remember that. I remember reading that and going, I'm not looking that up. I remember thinking that. I remember thinking, I'm not looking up that word. Rob's going to, Rob's going (laughs) to look it up. And it'll be fine. You, get, okay. you know me so well. And then my other one, I probably could have figured out from context clues, but I think I had never paid attention to its usage in this form before. Pinion. Oh, isn't that like a, a, a thing that connects? Like a, a pinion is like, a, is like a, a piece of metal that connects two other things. I think that's a pin. Oh, okay. Um, It's the terminal section of a bird's wing, but uh, in this particular usage it was pinioned it was a verb oh and it's to bind fast or shackle oh it's when yeah no somebody was tied up no oh I don't it's know when that. it's when uh lector was first when, when the officers in charge uh did not put the straitjacket on him and they put his hands through the bars and they pinioned him and it worked the first time but it did not work the second time yeah 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 that's it great yeah, I have to remember to look up more words next time. All right. Well, I think that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for continuing to listen. Thank you.
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers, and please discuss us extensively on Reddit. Next is... And that brings us to... And then the next thing we say is... (sighs) Chapter 38. Summary. (laughs) Nothing works better than just saying, I would like to get you to know you. That's it. You want to do that again without stumbling? Yeah, I would. Okay. The bug zoologist continues his formal flirting with Clarice, but funnily, fuck my stumbling. <laughs>